It's funny, we're a society that, believe it or not, is literally consumed with monsters. A lot of the kids' shows centered around monsters nowadays. The, the number one movies at the movie theater are horror movies. Costumes, monsters in the light system today, flickering. The number one selling costume every year at Halloween is monsters. I don't really know what this means, and it kind of freaks me out a little bit, and it freaks me out that I know this, but I was Googling this week. Did you know the fifth most searched type of porn is monster porn? I didn't know there was such a thing as monster porn. Some of you are laughing uncomfortably because you know there was monster porn. I began to research what monster porn was for studies for the sermon purposes. And apparently people are into people being dressed up like monsters and having sex. We're definitely on our way to hell in our society. <laughs> Point being, man, we are consumed with monsters. Also, HBO has a new show coming out about vampires. And it's amazing we live in a day and time where we put this spin on monsters. Whether they're zombies or vampires or werewolves, they almost become mystical. They almost become romantic. And the reason society keeps putting shows out about monsters and they keep coming out with new costumes about monsters and apparently creating pornography about monsters is because people are watching it and they're purchasing the products that are centered around monsters. Now, we know that in a real sense, there's no such thing as monsters. We're not going to be walking into the store and a werewolf jump out at us even though it's a full moon. Frankenstein's not coming out of the woods to chase us down. But if we were to be honest in our day-to-day -day interaction with people, man, we deal with monsters every single day. We just deal with those people and it seems like they, they have nothing better to do than want to try to suck the life right out of you. They're attacking monsters, fighting monsters, jealous monsters. They're people in your life that the minute you see them, you get that tension in your chest because you know they're the type of people that you simply do not want to be around. But the fact is we have to be around them. No matter how hard we try, you can't avoid them. And trust me, I have tried. No matter where we're at, we can be the store, or you can definitely be on social media, and there's monsters everywhere. And while they literally might not be sucking the blood out of us, the reality is there's people in our life who suck the life out of us. They're a drain to us. Some of you are pointing to your spouse right now. I, I get it, but don't do that. And I don't get it because my wife sucks the 
life out of me. Let me clarify, therefore I have to go home. But there's just some people that the minute, you know what I'm talking about? The, those people that you look at your phone and their name pops up and you instantly groan. You instantly begin the quick mental debate in your mind, do I answer, do I send them to voicemail? Because if I send them to voicemail, they're going to call again later. So do I just go ahead now and get it over with? There's people in life that are just simply difficult. And while in the movies there's always a way to kill a monster, it's frowned upon in today's society. So we can't kill those people. We can't avoid them 100% of the time, no matter how hard we try. So what we've got to do is we've got to learn to deal with those monsters. Because if you do not learn how to deal with the different monsters in your life, they will literally drain you. They will sap what joy you have. They will take the fun and the purpose out of this amazing thing called life. Life is filled with monsters and they're everywhere. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the different monsters that I think we deal with. Today, we're going to be looking at how do you deal with critical monsters. It's going to be fun. Next week, we're going to be looking at how you deal with manipulative monsters. Anybody ever had to deal with those type of monsters? Yeah. Hypocritical monsters in week three. Ah, oh, I love week four, gossiping monsters. A lot of monsters like this around Action Church, boy. Mm. It's amazing. Sometimes, for my own amusement, because I get bored, I like to start a little rumor around the church. Just because I want to see over the next couple of weeks how big the rumor gets. And it's amazing. How are some gossiping folks? The last week of the series, it's going to be tough. We're going to be talking about the monster within us. Because like it or not, it's easy to talk about the monsters in other people. But I've learned over the years that while I see the monsters in everyone else, unfortunately there's people out there that see the monster in me. I find that hard to believe. I'm a nice guy, soft-spoken, very non-controversial. I ooze peace and love, politically neutral, not opinionated. So it's hard to believe that people would look at me and see a monster, but I hear rumors that they do from those gossiping monsters. So we're going to have some fun during this series. The reality is I could have turned this into a 52-week series. I could have looked at a different monster Every week, an angry monster. The depressed monsters in our life. The negative, oh my God, why did I not cover that monster? The negative monster. It's funny, on Facebook, the same people that were griping about the heat suddenly are griping about the fact that the heat's gone outside. Oh, falls here, I hate it, it's so cold. Shut up. Shut up. The fact is, once we name those monsters, that monster in your life popped in your head. 
You knew exactly who it was. And this week, you might know who several of them are. The critical monster. The one who criticizes everything you do. They're out there. I actually saw somebody on Facebook today post, and I, and I guess the way I understood the post was is his birthday's one day, and his wife's birthday is the next day. And so they bought a brand new washer and dryer. He said, his and her washers and dryers we bought each other for our birthday. That's how you know you're an adult. And the first comment, first comment, I saw you bought a Samsung washer and dryer. Hope you have better luck than I did. Ours broke in three months, and we called the repair place, and it was in Duluth, and they said they wouldn't drive this far. We had to find somebody. They would reimburse us, and it's been nine months since they reimbursed us. And I'm like, shut up. The guy's excited, man. He just bought a washer and dryer. He probably didn't take a 30-year loan out to get it. And you're crapping on it after one post. Like, shut up. I always, I always think, I, I don't know that I think it's funny. I, I find it sickingly humorous, I guess. Someone gets diagnosed with something, say cancer. And instead of, I, I don't know if we're trying to be encouraged, but the first thing, oh man, my mom died of that same cancer. Thank you, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. I'm sorry your mom died, but thank you, I, thank you for encouraging me today. You know. No matter what we do, they criticize it. No matter what you wear, they criticize it. I'm talking about that monster in your life who literally has nothing positive to say about everything. Wish it wasn't so sunny. Wish it wasn't so cloudy. Where I come from, it's not like this. I hate the traffic. Where's Phil's microphone at? You're going to have to bear with me. My microphone got broke last week and it keeps falling apart on me. David Westrick broke it with that big noggin. Hold on, Barry. I'm sorry about that. I feel like a black preacher now. Mm-hmm. I need an organ player up here behind me. I don't know if I can preach like this. Mm-hmm. I'm talking today about that person who's negative about everything. <laughs> it don't matter if the sun's shining, they're bitching. It don't matter if it's raining, they're complaining. I'm talking about that person today who's broke, busted, and disgusted, and it don't matter what you just want to freaking avoid them because nothing positive is going to come out of their mouth. Somebody say amen. I'm talking about critical monsters today. You can't avoid the critical monsters. They're everywhere. And social media has given them unlimited access to be critical. Most of the time, they're living in their mama's basement, don't have a job, and all they got is a computer, and they criticize every single solitary thing you do. I posted the other night, Friday, we went out, we went to the brewery, and I posted at the brewery, the first comment was someone said, someone like you, you shouldn't post to your leaving. People don't need to know where you're at. That's dangerous. 
I'm like, shut up. God. That person who's simply never happy. They complain because you don't spend time with them. So you spend time with them. And they don't complain that you chose when to spend the time with them. Those people that are just never satisfied. Misery loves company because they're miserable people. They want to make you miserable. They can't stand to see you exceeding in life and excelling in life. So instead of encouraging you in life, they're going to criticize you. They're the people that, man, when you're talking about how good life is, they make these comments. Be humble. Be humble. My philosophy is if God didn't want me to toot my own horn, he wouldn't have gave me a horn to toot. That's my philosophy. It's critical. Know anyone like that? Know any monsters like that? Raise your hands. How many of you know someone who's critical? It's never good enough. Unfortunately for a lot of you, maybe it was even your parents, no matter what you did, you got an A in school and they're mad because it wasn't an A+. Plus. You didn't apply yourself. I watch it at little league sports all the time. A kid does great, but he messes up on one play and the parents are ready to lose their minds. Some of you are sitting right now next to that critical monster in your life. Don't raise your hands. People will criticize your relationships. They'll criticize your purchases. They'll criticize the clothes you wear. They'll criticize who you decide to vote for. They'll criticize where you go on vacation to. They're just miserable people who think their opinion matters. They're people who just feel like they need to always give their opinion. And the reality is no matter how hard you try, you cannot avoid critical people. It sounds really good to say I'm going to avoid them, and you can avoid them maybe for a little while. But eventually, if you're doing anything worth doing, there's going to be people who come out, and they're going to criticize you. When you begin to live the life that God created for you, they're going to criticize you. When you begin to live a life of purpose, and you begin to win in life, people love to criticize winners more than anything. I watched it last night on Facebook. Defending national champions, Georgia Bulldogs. The number one team in the nation, undefeated, and literally saw people criticizing the coaches last night because they had a close game. Now, I get it, that's a great part of being a fan. But man, shut up. Or just be like me and get on the lane train. It don't matter. It's critical no matter what. I'm not an expert in very much. But when it comes to criticism, I have an earned PhD. There's not a day in my life that goes by or someone's not criticizing something I do. I have decided early on to live my life in a very public manner. 
What you see is what you get. I am the same person Sunday that I am Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. If you don't like me on Sunday, you're not going to like me the rest of the time, and I'm okay with that. But when you decide to live your life in that manner, and you decide not to conform to the norm, you're going to open yourself up for criticism. This church, there's not a day that goes by it is not criticized. Because we do not give two rips about your denominational preference or what granny taught you as a traditional church. We try in every sense of the word to follow the Bible and nothing else. And it might not be what you've seen in other churches, but we think it lines up with the Bible and people don't like that. They like to put you in your box. The box is comfortable to them. The box actually isn't comfortable to them, but they know they got walls around them and they feel safe in their box. I can't go out to eat somewhere without being criticized. I went out to eat recently with Speedy. We're at the burger joint, and a couple of city council people walk in. They say hello to Speedy. They do not say hello to me. But then they have not learned the art of talking quietly three tables away. You just kind of pick up when your name's mentioned. I looked over. Always criticism. Not a week that goes by that I don't get a direct message, an email, or a text with someone criticizing something I say. When I moved here 18 years ago and I started my previous church, at that time, Canton was a small town. You say Canton's a small town. No, no, Canton was a small town 18 years ago. No one had ever heard of whatever it is we call contemporary church. At that time, 18 years ago, you didn't have a band in church. You didn't meet in a movie theater. And the church began to grow very quickly. Suddenly, it was the biggest church in town. And listen, there was so much criticism that we actually had a church take a Sunday off and come stand in front of our church and picket our church. Criticism. We actually got death threats at that church because of the way we did church. Criticism. People getting baptized, people coming to know Jesus, people who hadn't been church in years, but it didn't fit the norm, so let's criticize it. If there's anything I'm an expert in, it's in dealing with criticism. But I've learned over the years, if you don't learn how to deal with criticism, that monster will literally kill you. It will eat you alive. It will destroy you. You cannot avoid criticism. You cannot go around criticism. You cannot go under criticism. You cannot climb over criticism. The only thing you can do with criticism is go directly through it, and you've got to learn how to deal with it because it doesn't matter what you do you're going to be criticized before we go any further let me venture out here and say this and go ahead and take care of this in case you're wondering criticism always hurts it doesn't matter if you know how to deal with it it hurts it's like it's always funny to me when people come and they see you have tattoos did that hurt no it felt great Someone stuck a needle full of ink in my leg 
for 12 straight hours. It was orgasmic. Hell yes, it hurt. Criticism hurts. We're human. It's our human nature to want to be liked. It's human nature. There's no way around it for people, you wanting people to approve of what you do. Yes, criticism hurts. People will come along and they'll tell you, don't let it bother you. And that sounds great. (laughs) But there's times it bothers you. When they come along and they tell you, man, just shake it off. They don't understand you're the one who just got bit in the neck. You're the one who just got attacked. So, yes, it hurts. I like the thing on um, uh, Jimmy Fallon when he has the celebrities read the angry tweets about themselves. Has anybody ever seen that? And it's the first time they've seen the tweet where someone has criticized them. And you can tell the guys laugh it off. And they have a good sense of humor about it. But you can tell it also. You can see it in their eyes that for a brief moment, it stings a little bit. We're human. We're made with emotions. Nobody has got to the point in their life where they're so hardened. And you don't get much more hardened to criticism than I do. Where you can just 100% shake it off. That being said, you can learn different phases to deal with it. You can learn how to cope with it biblically. And in the process, you can change your life and how you go about criticism. For a long time, I dealt with criticism very wrong. I responded to criticism in the wrong way. So the question becomes, how do we deal with criticism? Is there a proper way to deal with these critics? Jesus comes along and says, man, love people, yet these people are a-holes and criticizing everything you do, and God, you're telling me i got to love these people. Sounds great. How do I do it? What about those times where you just like to get those small-minded people in a room for five minutes? It's five minutes to light them up. For years, I allowed critics to control me. There was a time in my life when I started my previous church 18 years ago, and I moved here. That was right about the time social media was becoming a big thing. I don't know if any of you remember this, but like blogging was a big thing. People remember blogging, you used to have a blog. And Twitter was a big thing at that time. And Twitter was still a cesspool back then like it is now. And I I would hit refresh all the time because, man, it was just nonstop criticism locally here from people. And there was blogs against us and there was websites against us. I remember somebody took my name and added a different suffix to the end of it instead of .com. And they actually had a whole page where every week they would post my sermon. Every week, like you know this guy's not getting laid if you have this much time. Like every week would play my sermon and then stop it when he thought something was unbiblical. So like he would take my hour-long sermon and do a three-hour podcast about it every week. Now right here, Pastor Lamb, or Pastor, I use that word loosely, is very biblically wrong here because this doesn't lighten it every week. And I thought, man, who has this much time? Who has this much space? He, 
I have talked to operatives within the church. That's the word he would use, operatives within the church. And decisions are being made that the people are questioning. What decisions were being made? We met in a movie theater. We had church once a week. But every week, this dude just he'd get thousands of views. Because he loved to criticize him. People are so negative, they love to read negative stuff. You'll have a bad experience at a restaurant, you'll tell 20 people. Have a good experience, you'll tell no one. Love critical people. How do we deal with criticism? You don't think when I lost everything and ended up on the front page of the paper, got remarried and decided to start another church in the same town, there wasn't criticism? You don't think when shutdowns happened and we refused to shut down, there wasn't criticism that happened? We have family that literally won't even talk to us over political views. Pathetic, critical spirits. How do you deal with them? Well, you got to learn the different phases. I was writing down the phases today, and I went through every one of these phases, and you got to get to this last phase, and the last phase is hard. If it was easy, everyone would do it, and I wish I could tell you it was easy today, but it's not. But when you get there, there's victory. The first stage in dealing with critics is always the explanation phase. The explanation phase. When I first moved here, I took so much heat. It was a small town. Like I said, 18 years ago, it was a really small town. No one had ever really seen anything like that. People didn't understand it. People thought we were a cult. 18 years later, they still think we're a cult. I told you, people picketed the services. It was insane. And I thought, though, because I was young, I'm old now, But I was 28 at the time, and I was naive and full of joy at that time. God's called me to preach, and people are just going to love me, and everywhere I go, it's just going to be like walking through a field of sunflowers with unicorns dancing around me and farting out bubbles. It's going to be amazing. I'm in ministry. Now I'm 46. I look like I'm 80. (laughs) I've got more stab wounds in my back than most people have anywhere. And I'm not the same guy, but back then I thought, if I could just explain to them what we're trying to do, they won't criticize it. If they could just see our heart in it, they'd understand. And so I would try to meet with each and every person who would write a negative comment or write a blog post or email the church, and I'd get on the phone with them. This is Gary over at the church I'll never name again. Man, I understand you don't like what we're doing. We're just trying to create a revolution here in town. Maybe you just misunderstand some things. And I bet I took thousands of phone calls. You know, the funny thing was, never once was I able to explain my heart. Never once was I able to explain who we were doing church for. Never once was I able to explain to them the why and the heart behind what they were criticizing. Because at the end of the day, the critic doesn't need an explanation. They don't care. 
They literally, uh, here's what a critic wants. Are you ready? They're miserable people. And they want the chance to shame you, to speak down to you, to tell you simply they're right and you're wrong. And when you get into the stage, I can always tell someone who thinks they're a leader what's not a leader when they think they can explain something to a critic because it's cute and it's idealistic. And I love your heart in it. But man, you're going to get chewed up and spit out because the critic doesn't want an explanation. They just want to tear you down. The Bible says this in Proverbs, because in case we need some Bible to back this up. Proverbs 26, 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly. Or you yourself will be just like him. Mm-hmm. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will become just like them. You need to get to the point in your life that you understand you don't owe the critic an explanation. With all due respect to everyone here, and I love each and every one of you, I don't owe you an explanation except for the one I'm married to for decisions that I make in life. You don't owe me an explanation for the decisions you make. Some of the day, what do you think about someone? So I said, not my business. But what do you really think? Not my circus, not my monkeys. You say, do you really believe that? Oh my God, the older I get, the more I believe it. Someone the other day was like, what do you think about so-and-so getting married? I said, I don't care if he marries a horse. What? I said, it's not my business. If he's happy, between him and God. You can't explain to a critic. Because here's the reality, they don't want to hear it. I laugh at some of you politically on Facebook when you begin to argue with people. You have never convinced one, not one person is there like, damn, that is good. Thank you. I just changed my opinion based on what you wrote on Facebook in four sentences. You're amazing. Someone asked me one time, they said, you made a post on Facebook that had 600 comments and you didn't respond to any of them. I said, I did respond when I made my post. I'm not looking to argue with people. If they don't agree, they don't agree. I don't need to explain myself. So that's the early stage. That's the, that's the cute stage of dealing with the critic. Then you evolve from that because you get frustrated with it. Somebody say amen. You get frustrated with it. So you move from the explanation phase to the argumentative stage. Now you want to explain it, but you're irritated. You're angry. I tried to be nice and explain it. Maybe you didn't understand it, me being nice. So let me be a jerk, and now I'm going to argue with you because if I raise my voice and get a little more mad, maybe you'll see that I'm right. It doesn't work. I hung out here for a long time. 
Matter of fact, people often will ask me, what do you remember about those days? And I wish I'd look at them and say, you know, the first thing I remember is the Sunday we baptized 167 people in one Sunday. I wish I could look at them and say, I remember the Sunday on Easter we had over 3,000 people in the movie theater for a church service. But I don't. I look back over those five years and I remember an angry preacher who wanted to argue with everybody. And I developed this mentality of us against the world, and it carried over into other aspects of my life for a very, very long time. Matter of fact, let's just be honest, it still rears its head a lot. Back when COVID hit and I lost all big events, I started a a maker's market, basically a farmer's market on Tuesday night at the mill. They asked me to start it. And someone came up to me, and I guess from me posting about the market, they said, man, you're the only person I know that can make a farmer's market a competition. I said, what do you mean? They said, man, every post that you make about your market is how the other markets suck, and you're better than them. And it convicted me. Because back in this stage, I became us against them, us against the world mentality. And I'm now trying to grow out of that aspect. And it's hard when you've done something for years. This phase almost destroyed me. You'd be real hard-pressed to find somebody who does us against the world better than me. I'm the king of it. I'm good at it. But I'm trying to outgrow it. I made some posts Saturday morning about Canton because I heard some stuff Friday night. Went back and deleted it. I'm maturing I thrive on this. Have you ever noticed you thrive on unhealthy things? No wonder we're unhealthy. I thrive on eating ice cream, not necessarily broccoli, as you can tell. So what would happen is I hit this stage. I'd argue with every single person. I don't know if many of you remember this. This was kind of the apex point of it. So my previous church, we were portable. We had a 53-foot tractor trailer. We'd bring in equipment. We had two U-Haul trucks that were 20-foot long. We had four trailers. It was a huge operation. It was a big church. And we showed up one Sunday morning, and someone had stolen the trailers that had all of our kids' ministry stuff in them. Instead of being a godly pastor and posting Whoever needed those trailers, I'm sure you enjoyed that kid stuff. I pray that God blesses you and you're able to let your kids lay down in those great little portable nursery beds every night. I made a post that we would hunt you down. I was young, okay? And when we found you, we'd beat the hell out of you in the name of Jesus. The Cherokee Tribune didn't think that was very Christian-like of a pastor and put it on the front page of the paper. And this was back in the early days of blogging. It went viral all over the country. I think it had like 100,000 uh, comments on it. And I was so stubborn, I wouldn't even pull it down. I just doubled down on it. And I thought, man, I threatened to kill somebody over some baby beds. At that time, that was a different church than this church. This church can't even pay rent. That church probably had $175,000 in the bank at the time. It's not like we couldn't have went and bought some more baby beds. But I was angry. 
I was arguing with everybody. Every sermon was me arguing. Every post I'd make on social media was proving everyone wrong. I remember we launched a second location and our theme was one church, two locations because we'd outgrown the movie theater. And I drove by First Baptist Holly Springs and the pastor had put on his sign, one church, one location. I showed up at his door. Why? Like that sounded like something I would have done. I should have laughed about it. I'm actually good friends with that pastor now for the, for the record. Ready to argue with him. Consumed and sidetracked. I'd blog about him, I'd Twitter about him, I'd Facebook about him. Here's the problem with the argumentative stage. Are you ready? It took all of my time. God called me here to start a church for those who don't do church. God called me to do something different here. God called me to do what no one else was doing, but instead of doing that, I was consumed with arguing with everyone. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy. Do not have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Some of you, all of you, Facebook warriors need to pull your camera out and take a picture of that. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Paul laid a said, quit fighting. Quit arguing. You know what arguing does? It leads to more arguing. People aren't blind. We had a family that left our church recently. I don't mean that in a mean way. God's moving you. God's moving you. And for whatever reason, after about six months of them having left, the last two months they just decided that everything I post they're going to criticize. This and that. He's an ego man. Blah, blah. Then y'all started questioning me. Why aren't you defending yourself? Why? There's nothing to explain to them. They know they're wrong. They know the truth. They know the real issue. Why am I going to argue with them? I'm not going to argue with them. Oh, my flesh wants to. My flesh wants to beat the hell out of them. I've actually wanted to beat the hell out of this person for years anyway. So now I have a reason. And the problem is my wife, she, she, man, it, it, it ain't as prominent as it used to be in her, but it still courses through her veins, that cope blood. And she will start to get fired up. Luckily, luckily, me and her very rarely get fired up at the same time. God forbid that ever happens. So one of us is the voice of reason. And then my brother-in-law, man, he's like done a whole nother 180. He's like peace, love, and weed now. Remember, like back in the day, like he was fighting people in the stores over Christmas lights. Thank God he's chilled out now because it had been bad. And then Rick's still Rick. And then Gail's negative, so she just feeds into it worse. They shouldn't be saying that. And all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose, and we all in jail. So I just, Sandra left today. She had a hurt back. Sandra loves this phrase. I just adopted a philosophy years ago called hashtag block a, block a bitch. I'm not arguing with you. 
I'm not fighting with you. I'm blocking you. But the problem is I block them, and then y'all start sending me screenshots. And I said, what do I tell you, though? Every one of you, I said, I blocked them for a reason. I don't care what they say. I'm not going to argue with them. Arguing with them gets me nowhere except all purpose. I don't have time to argue. This is not my paying job. I'm a week away from five festivals in five weeks. I have an anniversary show this Friday here. I'm starting an MMA league, and I'm starting a distillery in ball ground. I'm a little bit busy to argue with two miserable people on social media. And some of you need to learn that. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. He laid it out here. Quit arguing. Nothing good comes out of it. But then there's the explanation stage, there's the arguing stage, then there's the angry phase. You get angry. You're mad. You're frustrated. This is the punch somebody in the throat stage. The problem is, to be honest, you're not going to punch them in the throat. You're not. You're not going to jail over them. You can talk all day long that you're going to go to their house. Unless you're Rick, you're not going to their house. So really what happens is you're angry. There's no outlet for your anger. So you take your anger at them out on everyone around you. So now the critic who's got you angry isn't even dealing with the consequences of it, but your wife is, your kids are, your friends are. The Bible says this in Ephesians 4, in your anger, do not sin. That's key. There's no sin in being angry. But in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. When you're angry, you're running on emotion. You're running. All the endorphins are pumping and you're out of control and the devil comes along and says, gotcha. I'm going to get you to do something stupid. And there's going to be long-term consequences for your short-term anger. Your anger begins to affect everyone around you. And I can still get in this stage. One person can criticize something and I'll get angry. And Christian's like, what's wrong? Nothing. I can tell something's wrong. Nothing's wrong. Matter of fact, story time. So Friday, in our business, my wife's business, t-shirt business, Did you know that you can fire customers? Yeah, it's the greatest thing about owning your own business. We decided to fire our biggest customer. Customer that probably was going to do close to $75,000 in t-shirts with us this year. That's a lot of t-shirts. Wasn't worth the $75,000. The headache of dealing with them the nitpicking of dealing with them, the expectations of dealing with them. So I 
fire them. I want to always be above board. So I told them, I said, hey, keep the sure rule. We just said, I'm going to rip your check up. Keep it, we're done. Something about ripping up a over $2,000 check just puts you in a mood. Especially when you've worked hard all week to do that work. You say, why didn't you cash it? Because if I had cash it, I had to fix all the things that didn't need fixing that they thought needed fixing, and I would have to have, still have interaction with them. So Ashton May, who's been leading worship here forever, has her CD release, record release party at the mill. Obviously, we're going to go support her. On the way there, I look at Kristen, I said, I'm going to get into a fight tonight. She said, well, who? Whoever I want to. Now, how wrong am I? I'm wrong, okay? I'm not saying I'm right. I didn't say I was perfect. I'm just a pastor. Perfect. Maybe, maybe, maybe Bubba fed me fireball along with lots of alcohol. Said, you were drinking, maybe. Again, pastor, not perfect. So this gentleman comes up to me. Man, I saw what you're doing with that distillery. Would love to be able to go look at the building one day. Nothing wrong with that, is there? Except I was in a mood. And I thought, who is this arrogant guy that I don't even know thinks he can go look at my building when I ain't even taken my friends yet to the building? So I walked away. But then the rest of the night, apparently, they tell me, I kept saying, I'm going to go hit that guy for thinking he has the nerve to come look at my building. The next morning, Christine's like, what did that guy do to you? I said, nothing. He was actually really nice. I was just in a mood. What was the mood? The mood was, I'd allowed a critic to get me angry. Instead of taking my anger out on the person it should have been taken out on, I was looking to take it out on anywhere. Because an explosion, you know what explosion is? It goes everywhere. I was in the wrong. Luckily, I didn't do anything stupid. But had I done something stupid, how stupid would that have been? Because I, I was in the angry phase. I was on tilt. I had a pastor friend call me about two years ago. He was listening to my podcast here, and we were going through some stuff at the church at that time. He said, what is wrong with you? I said, what do you mean? He said, man, I've listened to your last four sermons, and you are chewing that group out every week for people that aren't even there. I said, am I? He said, man, you need to get it together. I went back and listened to sermons. Man, it convicted me so bad. How stupid was I? When we're angry, we rarely take our anger out on the person who made us angry. But this is what we do with Chris. We hit the angry phase. Don't allow Satan to control you through anger because it's one of his greatest ways to control you. The price is too high. You spend all your time on defense instead of offense. The next stage is, this is a good stage, and I, I think I've grown overall most of the time to be in this stage. The ignore phase. Once you get past the realizing you can't explain it, you can't argue with them. Getting angry does nothing but affect you. You get to the ignore phase. I, I like to think overall in life, and I'm not trying to be funny, I think, I think I do a good job of being here. 
I don't read what they write. I don't watch what they post. I don't take the phone calls. You guys know you've sent me stuff. I said, don't send me that again. I don't care. I ignore them. It's so free because here's the deal. All a critic wants is for you to listen to what they have to say. When you begin to ignore them, it does one of two things. The first thing it does, it really ticks them off. It really ticks them off. makes them angry. But second of all, you know what it does when you ignore a critic? They eventually get bored and go away. It's no fun. You ever tried to argue and the person you're arguing with won't argue back? I'll never forget my father-in-law used to have a truck rental place in a store that I owned. So we were together. We were, he was not my father-in-law at the time. He was my friend. He was my friend first. He's the reason me and Christine are together. He has no one to blame but himself. His dad... One of the most awesome men I ever knew. And his dad had helped Rick get this business started. And one day, he comes in, the dad, the dad was, how was hardcore boy? By the book. Rick is not by the book. But him and Hal throw down. Rick goes outside, and I go outside and talk with Rick. Come back inside. House and Rick's calm. And I said, I don't understand how you do that. I said, I don't argue with him. You're arguing with him. So when you argue with him, he wants to argue back. I just let him rant and rave. Once he eventually gets out of shape from doing it and can't breathe anymore, I'm like, are we done? People ask me all the time, how do you and Rick along? Man, we've had minuscule arguments in 10 years. We don't argue. We don't fight. We have respect and love for each other. But I, I ignore him when he's in his mood. And guess what? He ignores me when I'm in my moods. Last year at Ballground, I was in one of my moods. I was in the wrong in how I handled the situation. He was the bigger person. I know, shocking. <laughs> shocking. But he was the bigger person and walked away which was probably good for me. Nothing makes a critic angrier than you ignoring them. They want the reaction. Matter of fact, those critics will listen to this message today and realize I talked about them and they'll start back up again. It was stupid on my part, but I wanted to share the story. So I'll ignore them and they'll go away in a week. Man. The Bible says this in Nehemiah 6. I love this. Nehemiah is building the wall. God's told him to rebuild the wall to where the people can be safe. And he's bringing back joy to the people and purpose to the people and strength to the people. He's doing a good thing. Even when you're doing a good thing, Chris will come out. But look what it said. When word came to send ballot to buy a guest from the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though at that time I had not set the door in the gate, send ballot and Geshem sent me this message. Come. Let's meet together in one of the villages. But they were scheming to harm me. So Nehemiah has rebuilt the wall. He's done a good thing. It's done. The enemies come and say, hey, let's meet. He knew they were scheming against him, though. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? 
four times they sent the message, and I gave them the same answer. Nehemiah said, I don't have time to deal with you. I don't have time to explain myself to you. I don't have time to argue with you. I don't have time to get angry with you. God called me to rebuild the wall, and we're rebuilding the wall. So Nehemiah said, I'm just going to ignore you. Four times they came to him, and four times Nehemiah ignored them. Some of you need to learn this. You don't have to respond to every critic who engages you. You don't have to go to every fight you're invited to. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you a coward. It makes you mature. Because you can't argue with fools. But fools can distract you. Satan loves for you to get distracted. It's hard at times. But ignore them. Y'all know my, my social media philosophy. I call it post and ghost. I post what I got to say, then I ghost. I don't care. Let it go to 700 comments. Let it go to 800. I don't care. I already said what I had to say in the original post. I'm not arguing with people. So there's that stage. In the last stage, man, I got to be honest with you. I haven't got here yet, and I'm 46 years old, but I'm trying. I'm trying. The compassion phase. The compassion phase. I wrestle with this one. I see it in Luke 15 when the prodigal son comes home and the older brother doesn't come into the house to meet him and the father goes out to the older brother and he pleads with him to come inside. He just comes and he says, come and celebrate your brother. So many times we're like the older brother, we're criticizing. The older brother was criticizing the younger brother. I've never went off and done what he did. There was no party for me. And the father says, don't worry about that, he's back. My son that was alive is now dead, just come. Come out, compassion on him. Jesus dealt with this. The Bible says he did weep over Jerusalem. So don't, don't mistake this. He also turned over temple tables. There's a time to turn over tables. But you've got to make sure it's the right time. Jesus wept over them. Jesus wept over them for ignoring him. Jesus wept over them for not believing in him. Jesus wept over them for criticizing him. Because he loved those people. His heart was not to make his name big. His heart was to save their souls and the fact that they would criticize. It broke his heart. He had compassion on those people. Now, hear me out. Compassion doesn't mean we have to be friends with those who criticize. It just means we choose to honor them. I'm a big believer there's a difference between respect and honor. Respect is earned. Honor is given. I'm going to choose to honor you whether you deserve it or not. I'm going to treat you like a human even though you didn't treat me like a human. When I see you in public, even though you've criticized me, I am not going to cause a scene and try to fight with you. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and look what he said. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. When you get to this stage in life where you can have compassion on your Christian, and you know what? I actually say I struggle. I, I, maybe I am getting there, because you know what I'm able to do recently? And Christine is, God, Christine's got really good at this. As I look at the people criticizing, I'm able to step back. Because sometimes we can't see the forest for the tree. The tree's here and we can't see all the stuff. So we step back. 
And I see stuff going on in those people's lives. I see their financial struggles or their relational struggles or their lack of relationship with God. And I realize their issue is not me. Their issue is themselves. I'm just the one they're taking it out on. And I begin to have compassion on them. This is when you get the ultimate victory. When you don't got to explain to your critics, when you don't got to argue with your critics, when you don't got to get angry, and you don't even got to worry about ignoring them, you just have compassion on them. I'm going to wrap this up real quickly. So, Gary, is there positive criticism? Yes. If you want to grow in your walk with Christ, you better have people who love you enough to tell you what needs to be said, even if you don't want to hear it. You don't think I have people who will call me and light me up? But I have a criteria for those who get to do that. Everyone doesn't get to do that. First thing I always say is, first of all, does, and this has to be in this order, does this person know me? If you do not know me, you don't get to criticize me. If you know nothing about me, you've just heard about me, you don't get to criticize me. You've got to know me. Second of all, does this person believe in me? You can know me and not believe in me. This is key. Because what this does is this opens areas where you can criticize me in certain areas, but you cannot criticize me in other areas. You've got to believe in the area you're criticizing me in. I've shared this story before, and actually my mom has got better at this. My mom believes because I am divorced, I should not be a pastor. Cool. My mom has never been to Action Church one time. Cool. So guess what my mom doesn't get to do? She doesn't get to criticize me about how I pastor because she doesn't believe I should be doing it. See that? My mom knows me. But she doesn't believe in me in that area. You don't get to come along and criticize me in my business endeavors if you don't believe in me in those business endeavors. You can criticize me in other areas if you believe in me in those areas. Because, because if you believe in me, you're coming to me with the right motives. So do you know me? Does this person believe in me? And does this person love me? Because you can believe in me and not love me. I want to know you love me so you're coming to me out of love. You're not coming because you think you're better than me. You're not coming to me because you want to see me fail. If someone knows me, believes in me, and loves me, then those people have my best interest at heart. And when you have my best interest at heart, I'm going to deal with the feedback from you. Before I opened the distillery, I sent pictures of it to maybe 10 people. People knew me. They believed in me. They loved me. I wanted their feedback. Here was the problem. They all sent positive feedback. So I responded to every one of them. Awesome, I get it's cool looking. Rip it apart. What do you mean? I said tear it apart. I want to hear what you think is going to be the negative of it. Tell me how it can be better. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? I wanted the criticism. 
See, we tend to think criticism is a bad thing. Criticism can be a good thing if you know me, believe in me, and love in me. Here's what the Bible says, and I'm done. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. If you love somebody, you will speak truth into their life. Some of you have friends, and you know you should speak truth in their life, and you won't. You're not a friend. We're good at saying 90% of what needs to be said. The 90% they already know. That last 10% is what's uncomfortable. You're drinking too much. You've got lazy. You suck as a husband. Say you say it like that sometimes. You're angry right now and your anger's... Say when... What if they get mad at me? If they get mad at you and walk, then let them walk. That's their loss. As long as you know them, believe in them, and love them. So there can be positive criticism. Criticism will destroy you. It'll kill you. Criticism hurts. It's painful. And it will consume you. And the person who gets on social media is the most braggadocious person. I don't let in. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah, you do. Because I'm about as hardcore of not worrying about what people say to anybody, and it still hurts. But I, the goal needs to be that compassion stage. The immediate goal at least needs to be to get to that ignore stage. If you want to live a life of purpose in doing what God called you to do. Because here's the deal. No matter what you do, there's going to be critics. I just feel like a leader should be unifiers. It's fantasy. That's said by people who've never led. The only person who is going to unify everyone is the Antichrist. People have different opinions. Leadership is divisive. So people are going to criticize what you do. Learn how to deal with the critics and kill that monster. Let's pray.